Hello and welcome. We are Tools in the Shed, powered by Cars Guide. We're ready to rip into car stuff that's caught our eye this week. I'm Richard and with me is Senior Editor Matt Campbell. Hello. M4 has come straight back from Paris and straight into a small SUV comparison. Yes. You'll be talking a little bit about both. And also with us is Micho. G'day, kiddos. You are <laughs> going to be talking about a pretty heavily modified uh, Jaguar E-Type. And we'll also be checking in with our favourite Twitter-addicted saviour of the future in this week's Musk Watch. So stay with us. But first up, M4, you've yes. just got back from Gay Paris. I have. Uh, you went, got to say, courtesy of Peugeot yes. over there. Uh, and covered a lot of Peugeot stuff. Uh, a lot of other things as well. Uh, tell us, you got our eyes and ears on the ground. What did you see? Okay, I saw a lot of the Peugeot or Peugeot and Citroen stands at the show. Mm-hmm. I didn't see much of much else though. It was it was back to back meetings, uh, interviews, uh, roundtables, all that sort of stuff, which is what led me to be able to write quite a bit of interesting news out of that camp. But you know, generally the show. Um, Paris Motor Show for me has for a long time been one of the more exciting shows to go to. It's manageable in terms of its size. Um, There's all the big players there. This time around, it had the feeling of, holy crap, this is... This could be the last one. Yeah, yeah. Um, really. A lot of yeah. manufacturers who didn't turn up. Yeah, heaps, yep. heaps didn't show up. Um, the crowds were down, um, which made it easier to try and manage to get videos and and look around the cars and that sort of thing. But it would just, yeah, not not the same vibe as usual. One of the yeah. things that I like about motor shows, though, apart from, I mean. One of the issues I've had with motor shows, it does feel like a big car showroom. Yeah. But one of the great things about motor shows is that you get to meet the big wigs. And yeah. You get to ask those questions directly. Now you got to eat. Uh, you got to eat. <laughs> you got to meet. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about Red Rooster. We, we, we're we started, talking about so. Red Rooster. I've got that on the mind. <laughs> you got to meet Peugeot CEO Jean Philippe Imparato. Yes. Who's my favourite. Dramatic CEO. Yes. He reminds me a bit of Magato from um, Zoolander. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He said that, and I quote, we're not going to build a Google box. Yeah. What, what is he talking about there? Yeah, so he's talking about um, the sort of car where you have no involvement um, and it's just a pod. Mm. So he sees the future of electric cars and autonomous cars as being something more akin to um, a mix of some brands will do the pod thing and they'll be fully autonomous and you won't need a driver at all. Other brands will do the, you you can still be the driver, the steering wheel can fold away. Mm. You'll still have conventional cars, of course. But he wants to imagine the future of electric autonomy as it can be anything. Mm. It, it doesn't have to be defined by this long-held vision of a pod or something weird like you know a shared space that you have to share with five or ten other people. Like he, it was a pretty thinly veiled swipe at the uh, straight across the showroom floor was Renault's uh, concept car, which was a seven meter long um, communal. It's like a mini bus. Let's yep, just call right. it an autonomous mini bus. Um, and the point being that there's you know there's no real uh, desire for Peugeot or Citroen to do that. You know, as we saw with the E-Legend concept, which was absolutely gorgeous in person. Yeah. Um, and they said they've got a petition out there. If we get 500,000 signatures, they're going to build it. Wow. So yeah. this, is, this, is a, this is a, you know, a brand that knows that it's got, obviously, uh, heritage 
in France and in Europe as, you know, it's a pretty dominant player in Europe and they want to be there in the future, not just in the present. Mm. And so to be able to talk about, you know, what could happen if they have enough people interested mm. is really cool. Like, it's, it's kind of refreshing. He's also pretty militant about... Uh, doing the right thing uh, for in terms of the climate and mm-hmm. the environment. Mm-hmm. And he, even though he said that diesel will continue to exist for a bit longer in commercial cars, yeah. he's, he's had it with yeah. them sort of in passenger cars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the answer to the question about whether you still invest in diesel is no. There's no investment in diesel anymore because... A lot of brands are going that way. It's a lost cause. Yeah. We've just seen there's news <clears> today about um, Fiat pulling out of uh, diesel in the... And a couple of models in Europe. Um, And this is, you know, as we said, mainly passenger cars because commercial vehicles still aren't at the point where adopting any sort of electrification in a mass sense is viable. Mm. But uh, And diesel is just so commonplace. It's just the thing that you do when you're buying a commercial vehicle Mm. in Europe, even in Australia, obviously, you know, dual cab utes, 99% of them are diesel. Um, And so... It's interesting for him to say that there's, they're not investing in that anymore. But the cool thing about it was the way that he put it forward is when you're buying a Peugeot in the future, you'll be buying a Peugeot and then you're buying a drivetrain. Yeah. So you'll have, say, the next generation 208. Mm. There will be a petrol version, there'll be a hybrid version or a plug-in hybrid version or an electric version. Yeah. So you're buying that car and then you choose which right. one you want. Yep. And yep. I guess that's cool because it's going to offer more and more buyers uh, the choice of what they can have. But also in cities in Europe where they're starting to clamp down on uh, petrol cars and diesel cars in uh, Mm. regular cars in city centres, this is going to mean that electric cars are going to have an inherent value that petrol cars won't. That's it. And at 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 this point in time... Um, the resale value on hybrids and electric vehicles isn't that great mm. because nobody really knows how expensive it's going to be to mm. replace a battery. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, petrol and diesel ones, you know, a petrol Corolla yeah. would have a higher resale value than a hybrid Corolla mm. at this point in time. Yeah. And as you said, look, Oslo, Madrid, Copenhagen, Paris, Athens, Helsinki are looking to ban diesel and, you know, combustion engine cars yep. from their city centres very, very soon. Yep. So what happens if you've just bought a, you know, a diesel or petrol car? Well, like- this this is why uh, the time is nigh for brands yeah. like Peugeot and Citroen and all the other European brands to really think about mm. what they do uh, and what they offer because, you know, we've heard so many stories of brands saying, you know, we're going to be 100% electrified by 2025. Of course yeah. you are. That's just how it's going to happen. That's not a... I mean, we write the story because it's good to hear it from the mouth of some executive at a particular brand. Yeah. But that's... If you look at the way the emissions regulations are going in Europe... You know, if you have to be at, say, 40-something grams of CO2 as a fleet average by 2025, that means, of course, you're going to have the majority will be plug-in hybrid, the Mm. rest will be electric or regular hybrid, and diesel will be, you know, this minuscule player. But then there's the other angle on it all Mm. about performance and cars being Mm. fun to drive. That's it, yeah. Because um, essentially we've found out that the next – well, the current 308 GTI will be the last petrol GTI. Yep. Um, and the existing 208 GTI, as we saw, there was a Edition Definitive, mm. which is the. F- 
I, I well, they, there was no real pinpoint confirmation of it, but it's the last petrol yeah. GTI we're going to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. The next generation versions will either be in that small segment; they'll either be completely electric. Yeah. Or in the next segment up, plug-in hybrid, and we've seen that with the three hundred eight, uh, the um, hybrid R or three hundred eight yep. R hybrid, yep. I think it was called, which had some stupid amount of power, five hundred and eighty horsepower or something mm. like that. It was silly, but that's where performance is going. And how good is it that you can have your cake and eat it too? Absolutely. <laughs> now you mentioned the two hundred eight uh, just a little earlier. Yeah. Now. Peugeot have confirmed that the 208 is coming to Australia. Yes. Probably not the electric one, mm-hmm. uh, but definitely the, the petrol one. Uh, what else did you find out about that car? That's a new generation car too. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll it'll have yeah electric versions sold in some markets. Obviously, Australia, the cost, uh, the complexity of our market, the... You know, if you bring in a, a $50,000 electric hatchback, you're not going to sell many of them. But no if one's going to want it. Yeah, if you bring in, say, a twenty-five to $30,000 hatchback that has a, a regular petrol engine or a plug-in hybrid at the high end, then maybe you've got a point of yeah. difference in the market. Yeah. But yeah. then on top of that is probably the more important car, the 2008, mm. which is the SUV that's based on it. Um, it's towards its end, the end of its life cycle as well, although it doesn't seem like it's been around that long. It's no. still a fairly fresh mm, and yep. fairly impressive small SUV yep. in the segment. Um, and I'll come to a, a car that I've driven that's based on that car a little bit later. Yep. But, um, the, yeah, the 2008 uh, could be the most important car in Peugeot's lineup moving forward because mm. it does offer the SUV-ness that people want. But at the moment, the bulk seller is the 3008, which is the next size up SUV yep. worldwide. Yeah. So Peugeot's all of a sudden gone from this brand that has little tiny hatchbacks to yeah. SUVs yep. at 44,000 euros was the average price. Yeah. And the 4008 too, Yeah, which is a handsome, yeah. handsome yeah. looking They've car. They've got some really nice looking people cars. People mover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Now, talking of handsome, handsome-looking cars, uh, we're going to throw to a bit of a word now from our sponsor at Winton. In 1914, two Aussie visionaries decided it was time for a new kind of car. After meeting face down on the floor of the Bridge Hotel in the Tuca, mates Ern Alcock and Horry Wheeler began working on their dream. And three years later, the Winton Motor Company was born. Our founders knew Australians needed a rugged car for tough local conditions with no-nonsense performance and breakthrough design. Their first production model, the 15, known to Winton enthusiasts the world over as the Mongo, was an unstoppable 15-cylinder force of nature, which set the benchmark for the Wanderers, Wildcats and Turbos that have followed in its illustrious wheel tracks. As Prime Minister Billy Hughes, standing next to the first Mongo, uttered those famous words... She's a ute. Australians knew they had a winner on their hands. And 101 years later, Winton remains at the frontier of progress and performance, with the groundbreaking 2018 Winton Turbo exported to more than 100 countries. We think Ern and Horry would approve. The Winton Motor Company. Go, Australia. Oh, oh, look. Where is he? Where is he? Frosty. Now, look, we're not talking about Frosty, the Mark Winterbottom Frosty. No, uh, we're talking about the proper Frosty. The, real, the original Frosty. Yeah. The head of PR. And not the snowman either. Not the snowman. <laughs> well, maybe he's the original, but uh, probably the, the second Frosty. Uh, 
best known to mankind, uh, is uh, the head of uh, PR for the Winton Motor Company. And uh, look, our only uh, sponsor of the Cars Guide podcast, uh, if you check out the shed that we're sitting in, uh, Winton have now got a got a bit of an advert on the side of it. A very expensive piece of real estate as well, just on, on that wall just there. You might not be able to see it. <laughs> but look, you might not be able to see this either if you're listening. Uh, but if, you, if you're watching along on home, you will be able to see uh, a shot that we did manage to get of uh, Frosty. Now, it was taken... Uh, during the podium, uh, the Brock Trophy uh, awarded mm. podium to, to Mr. Lowndes and Mr. Richards for taking out the 2017 Bathurst 1000. 18. Uh, 2018 <laughs> as well. Well, 2015 and then 2018. <laughs> Was that right? Okay. You hope uh, so. This year's Bathurst 2000. <laughs> will let you know. This year's Bathurst 1000. Uh, now, Frosty has been spotted once again uh, in his Stig outfit. Now, if you have a look, uh, I've drawn a, a crudely drawn arrow uh, pointing to him. <laughs> There in the background. Look, you might have also noticed that uh, the safety car at this year's Bathurst 1000 was also a Winton, uh, <laughs> driven by Frosty. Uh, originally, uh, it was supposed to be Fernando Alonso. Uh, Frosty oh. also uh, looks after uh, the interests of Fernando. The Nance, uh, as you call him. Fernand, yeah. as he, yeah. Uh, big A? Big A? Um, <laughs> look, uh, I don't but, know if he calls him Big A. No, he doesn't call him Big A. Um, <laughs> I can mean a few things. what I call him. Uh, but Fernando actually had a prior commitment on uh, in Japan, oh. the... Uh, from the Grand Prix in Japan, yeah, sort of takes a bit of precedence over, you know, other safety car honours. That's true. That's true. So um, it's always like Frosty to put his hand up if mm. they need a helping hand. Oh, that's, yeah. oh look, he's, top bloke. Well, he's that's, a good bloke. That's, that's the type he is. Now look, uh, where is he off to next? Look, I can't reveal uh, Frosty's calendar, but what I can do is I can reveal the Winton Raceway calendar uh, coming up on October twenty is the Winton Fun Day, and uh, <laughs> look, uh, look, I'm not going to say anything else. Uh, but you keep your eyes peeled for to, for for Frosty down there. Uh, he's around. He might be yep. on the, on the barbecue, manning the sausages. <laughs> uh, but uh, look, he's he's happy to get down with the down with the people. Boy, yeah. oh boy, back to where it all began. He, does he know how to handle a sausage? Talking of handling sausages, Mitchell, <laughs> uh, you uh, you've uncovered or taken off a lid of worms. Oh, yes. a highly modified. Jag E type. Yes. So a few people are going to love or hate this creation. Mm -hmm. So there's a guy in America who's got an E type Jag and just the shell of it ripped it it to guts and everything. Already my my heart's hurting. Okay. So uh, what he's done is uh, he's he's begun to, actually, it's been around for a while and he's been modifying it and slowly getting it to. Uh, up to scratch, I yep. guess. Uh, so what he's done, instead of having a straight six in the engine, he's decided to go with the 8.4-litre V10 from a Dodge Viper. Wow. And, um, okay. Yes. And, you know, that's a relatively powerful engine, <laughs> oh, right? Just a bit. Just, just a bit. So It's but, a big engine. Well, it, yeah, it is big. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so he's decided to go one step further and throw two turbochargers. Two turbochargers on it. There we go. Got right. there in the end. Uh, so there's not oh a God. actual, like, he hasn't actually revealed how much power it's pushing out yet, or he hasn't, like, done a dyno. I know the answer. It's yes. too much. Yeah, too pretty much. much. So it's between, hold on, let me bring up the figures here. It's set to make between 895 kilowatts to 1,119 kilowatts. Wow. Think of what? the think yes. of the work you need to do to the chassis, to the brakes, to everything. every single well, component. One of the things yeah. I like yeah. is like obviously the rear end's custom, it's got a nine inch diff, uh, the chassis's all custom. But the suspension is taken from a Mark II Mustang. Right. I well 
Look, that's. I don't know whether that's good or bad. No, I don't know I, if that's good or that's. I reckon that's. I don't know if that would be able to handle the power. No, no I, I. Well, not not that amount of power. <laughs> no. Um, I reckon you'd need to do some extra spot welds around the uh, body to, there, and you might have to box box the chassis. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What other modifications have been made? I mean, uh, in terms of. The body itself, I noticed there's the side exhaust. I mean, yeah, side exhaust, yep, uh, yep. all that kind of stuff. He's he's thrown in like a, a wood grain dash. There's a lot of switches and stuff. Who God who knows what they do and yep. all that kind of stuff. Um, it's it's still a bit away from completion. I'm looking forward to seeing the end result. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, I just want to ask a question: Where do we sit with like modifying like old classic cars? Because I know, as I said, people will either like or mm. dislike this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what what are your your guys' thoughts? Oh, M4. Uh, what I'll, do you reckon? I love the resto mod scene. So yep. I, I love a car that looks original or even ratty, uh, and has you know the most up up to date, most modern possible drivetrain and yep. and uh, mm. components under the body. I love that idea. I love the idea of you know having modern day conveniences in a classic shell, um, and if you know, if I could have a an E type with even just a, a you know an F type V six S engine yep. in it, that'd make me pretty happy. That would be good. Yeah. yeah, that would be great because what what you're doing there is just you're, you're kind of uh, you know you're, you're hat tipping the past. Yeah, but you're retrofitting it with the future, and you're mm. actually putting in the engine that the E type engineers would have put in had they had yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, my background is hot rodding, and yeah. there's, there's there's a whole there's there's many facets to hot rodding. You've got the nostalgia guys who will mm. you know who will run you know cross ply tires uh, in the wet. And run flathead V8s, and, and I love that. It's the yeah. full nostalgia thing, and they'll make sure that every they won't use a modern bolt yeah. in the yeah. car if they if they can get around it. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the street rodders, who it's all about is going as fast as you can with an old sort of body. So you might have you know a 32 Ford, but you might put in you know something late, like maybe a 351, or even later like an LS engine or something like that. Yeah. They've got no issue with that. Even putting a Chevy engine. Or you know, hold an engine yep. into a Ford. Yeah, you know, they'll even put right. This, my, for example, my my stepfather. Sorry, not my stepfather. Well, my stepfather as well. But my father-in-law were out at a swap meet once, and I've got a 1951 Ford. He saw some XR8 seats and said they'd look good in your in your Ford. Yeah. So now that's a street rider. Yeah. Right. Because right. they're all about high performance in old school sort yep. of yep. body. I'm sort of somewhere in between. I don't think XRA, XR8 seats would suit a 1951 Ford. God, no, um, yeah, no. But I'm all about, you know, adding a bit more power um, and not necessarily going low-tech just for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, you know, flatheads are great, but they're unreliable, they're expensive to run, and you don't get to go very fast. Yeah. Um, this is another form of hot rodding. Um but it's interesting Some people that might they've just used... say it's a form of ruining. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. it as well because the Jaggy type. I mean, 1951 Fords are a dime a dozen, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and some would argue that 32 Fords are very, very rare as well. Uh, but there's something quite special about an E type, and I don't think they're honouring its past at all in this. No. But at the same time, the hot rod gods would be yeah. would be pretty happy because uh, that engine. I'm looking at it now, and if you can see it at home on your screen, the engine fits pretty well. Mm. Oh yeah, uh, it, they've got plenty of engine beta to put yeah. it in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but at the same time, whoa, there'd be some jag diehards out there who would be yeah yeah pretty per- angry. Personally, like, as cool as it is, I'm 
I, I can't say that I really like it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm very, uh, if it's original, keep it original, like yeah. older classic cars. Um, nothing wrong with resto modding. It can be cool, but I just, uh, just something yeah. about it. Like yeah. I know, I remember seeing um, for sale, there was a Chrysler Valiant Charger, right? And this guy has like thrown a, a 6.4 litre from a Chrysler 300C. He's like done it up and all this kind of stuff. And it was for sale first for about 80 grand. It's been for sale for about two years yeah. and no one wants it. And he's dropped it down to 60 grand. Yeah. But I, yeah, so. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, that sort of car is probably the sort of car that you do for yourself. You, yeah. You're never going to sell it. If you, yeah. if you build a car that means something to you and you have a vision for it and then you end up going, oh, okay, it's time to get something else. Not, you're probably not going to get yeah, what you want Not everyone has it. the same vision. No. Yeah, that's right. I think what's important as well is a bit of, you know, a bit of ingenuity and a bit of imagination. Do yeah. something well. a bit different. If you had taken like a Merlin engine and put it in there or just taken a something, a Spitfire engine, you know what I mean, and mm. put it in. There, a there AU been, Falcon engine would have been good. Well, yeah, four litre. Yes. That'd be good. Whoa. That'd be good running on gas as well. It'd be perfect. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> the Pong. Yeah. Mate, absolutely. you get 900 from a tank. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. LPG, can't go wrong. Uh, talking of also not going wrong, in our garage, we've had uh, had, had a bevy of cars. Mitch, mm-hmm. uh, you had a bit of a surprise this week when you went to pick up a Ford EcoSport, little yeah. SUV, and you drove away in a Mustang. Yeah, so I went there, and I was, <laughs> there was a bit of a mix-up with the cars. I was just like, oh, yeah, you're, yeah Ford EcoSport isn't here. Um, but we've got another car, pretty similar to it. Um, so just take that and, you know, swap it over when when you get the uh, other car. Uh, yeah, but, you know, it was a V8, two-door, so different type of EcoSport. Different, very. It's, it's, it's a Mustang. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, um, but yeah, when, when I saw it, was bright orange as well, so. It's got to be. If you're not going to get notice in a Mustang, you're going to get notice in a bright orange Mustang. <laughs> yeah. And when I got into it, my first reaction was I looked down and I saw it was a manual. I can drive a manual just to clarify that, but because it's a Mustang, it's big, it's a V8, you, you think, oh, it's a manual, the clutch is going to be heavy, the yeah. gear changes are going to be heavy, it's just going to be a brute to steer. But I was really surprised. The yeah. clutch is so light. It's just like driving a normal hatchback. Same with the gear changes. It's like, mm. Mm, yeah. yeah. Like that earlier that day, I drove an MX-5, and it, the clutch didn't feel that much different from it. Like, yeah. it's not a struggle anyone can drive it. That yeah. has always been a Ford selling point for yeah. the Mustang. It's never been a high performance car that you had to be Steve McQueen to drive, mm, yeah. even though that's what sold them all. Yeah. It's and always you feel had to like be, Steve McQueen you when do. you drive. Yeah. It just had to be, well, the, the three Fs, fast, affordable and fun. Well, that's a, two Fs and an A. Um, <laughs> but um, that's, that, was, you know, that was the mantra of mm. Mustang. And it, it is easy to drive. Yeah. Anyone can drive that yeah. car. If you can drive a Ford, you know, Escape, Cougar, you can you know you can drive a you Mustang. Know, Mustang. Yep. Um, now I've been in a Nissan X Trail. Uh, review is coming up very soon. I'm getting that in today, so you'll be reading it on Monday or later this afternoon, which is Friday. Uh, it's uh, look, it's <laughs> falling behind a little bit. Yes. I've been a yep. bit of Mister SUV at the moment. I've driven you know pretty much every midsize SUV under the sun right now, and. You know, you, I've just driven the Forester, which is a really good thing. Yeah. I've just, you know, got out of Tiguan All Spaces and driven, went to the new CX-5 launch, and I've got into the X-Trail. And two years ago, I thought the X-Trail was, was good. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's to me, it's fallen behind mm. in terms of technology. You get yep. into the yeah. cabin and it's... Feels very really dated old. and looks um, 
Yeah, so I won't give away any more, but you can read all about that in the review that's coming up. That's the X-Trail TI. Yep. Now, we're going to roll also into what you've been up to this week as well. Because, yes. Matt, you've had a few cars in your garage. Yes, I have. Three in particular. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A Hyundai Kona. Yep. You've had a Honda HRV. And we've had a CX-3 as yeah. well, Mazda CX-3. Exactly. Tell us a bit about why you've had those in your garage. So we asked the people what they wanted to see, and they wanted to see a small SUV comparison. And so we did it. Um, this week we spent a few days in the rain and the sun, um, as you'll see from the footage, uh, just trying to figure out which one of these three is the best. Okay, so to set the scene, we got uh, the versions of uh, the CX-3, the Kona, and the HRV all around the $25,000 mark. Um, a little, you know, a little bit of movement either side of that, but the, the whole point of it was to see, you know, if you can, if you're looking at twenty five grand on a hatchback, let's see what you can get in SUV space for twenty five grand. And so, right, it was a, a busy couple of days of testing. Wet, cold, sunny, yeah. hot. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, oh, did you guys go down to Melbourne? Uh, <laughs> it was all in one. It no, felt it was, like Melbourne. It was two days down uh, yeah. south of Sydney, and yeah, we. I think we came away fairly, um, fairly clear with what we thought at the end of it as a yeah. as a trio of of testers. It was mm-hmm. myself, you, Richard Berry, mm-hmm. and James Lyle mm-hmm. from our oversteer slash cars guide team, and. The point of it was that um, if you need practicality, then I don't want to give too much away, but if you need practicality, then you shouldn't look at a CX-3 or a Kona. No. Um, because they are, like, in, this, in the true sense of the word, they are small SUVs. Mm. Yeah. Where the Honda HRV is a small SUV but doesn't feel like it at all inside. No. It's um, a TARDIS. Yeah. Yet, I really loved to drive the Kona. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's... It's, I guess the beauty of the segment is now, at this point in time, whether you're looking at those three or whether you're looking at things like the ASX or the Subaru XV or the Peugeot 2008 or the upcoming Citroen C3 Aircross or the Ford EcoSport or, you know, there's, there's, there's so much there's variety. There's 20 different cars you can choose from in that segment and three that we chose all have distinct personalities of their own. And so... HRV, practical, functional, family-friendly, not as much of a driver's tool, but does everything you'd ask of it mm. comfortably. CX-3, it's the more stylish, the more uh, appealing inside. It's got a nicer interior. It feels a bit more special, and it's got safety stuff that the others don't. And then you've got the Kona, which is this aggressive little... I don't know. It looks like an insect. It's it does. Like a, it's like a cranky little insect. <laughs> it's that Pokemon. Wants, it's like it's, rearing up at you. It's like, I'm yeah, going to get you. You know, it like, it's this, and, and it's got the most aggressive driving character as well. And despite being the heaviest of the three, it's got the most pep and the yep. most go and the most agility. And it's just, it really highlighted to me over a couple of days, depending on what you want, Yeah. you know, there's, there's a few decisions you could make. Yeah. Like, yeah, but you can't really have your cake and eat it. No. Do you know what I mean? No. It's... What is with you and eating and cake? I know. I I'm cake. a bit hungry. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm a bit hungry. It's almost lunchtime. Um, but that's the thing. I think that there's... I I don't know that there is an SUV in the segment that does it all. Um, no. And I think that 
there's, I mean, Mazda, the CX-3 range is very broad. Mm. You can get front-wheel drive, petrols, diesels, mm. all-wheel drives, manuals, autos, everything. Honda's gone very simple. It's like one engine, yep. one gearbox, four trim grades, one of them sporty. Yep. And that's kind of yep. cool. Yep. Then you've got Hyundai, which now has, I think you could choose one of seven different versions of the Kona, ranging from 22 grand up to nearly 40 grand. And it's sort of like this segment is so dynamic and yeah. so it's like a evolutionary point for the market because it's sort of it's trying to get different buyers into different cars that they might not have considered before yeah. and but i i keep coming back to it like i think the 25 grand price point is kind of the sweet spot for small suvs because if you're thinking well i'm going to spend 35 grand on an suv then you should be looking at the next size segment up mm. because you're going to get a much better vehicle for like less less compromised vehicle for the money well this is this is exactly what happened to our photographer mm-hmm. um he, he 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 and his wife bought a cx3 yeah and then he bought a Tucson. Yeah. Um, and instantly they realised they should have just got the Tucson to begin with. Yeah. Uh, because one of the reasons why they got it was for his business, you know, putting all the camera equipment in the back. The CX3 was just too small. Yeah. Mm. It looks, I, I love the look. I think the, C, I think the CX3 is the prettiest. And the looks kind of compromise oh, it's, the It's uh, a practicality. tiny car, but it's still got like this cab back and the long, beautiful nose, the same nose that a CX-9 and a CX-5's got. Uh, but it's just not practical, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, it really will depend on what you want from your small SUV. And we'll go into full detail in our long and in-depth written review and our in-depth video review and which you'll you'll probably see just how wet and dry we were over the couple of days that we did the testing so my god it was a it was a journey it was a journey (laughs) my god we discovered more about ourselves than than the cars we did and more about the cars talking of self-discovery here's muskwatch Oh, Elon. Elon. You know what? He never fails to come up with stories for us. I, there's not one time that, yeah. you know, doing the you James get a Cleary. story from him every day. I know. Yeah. Well, look, James Cleary, who normally, uh, you know, hosts the podcast or all myself, is never, never stuck for, for more must watch yeah. information or material. Uh, so this week, rumors abound. James Murdoch. The uh, one of the one of the offspring of uh, Rupert Murdoch uh, apparently was tipped at the start of this week to be replacing uh, Elon as Tesla CEO. As Mm. as you probably know already, uh, Elon has stepped down from the CEO position because of the issues that went on with the Securities Commission, well, the settlement of that. uh, And James Murdoch was tipped to be his replacement. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not true, Uh, according to. Elon himself. Oh. <laughs> uh, he's actually tweeted uh, only, when did he tweet? Oh, only a day ago, and he's just tweeted, not correct. Um, so this was in response to a story which uh, to, that the, the Financial Times um, uh, wrote, and they've said, Financial Times said, Justin, James Murdoch has, been, has become the lead candidate to replace Elon Musk as Tesla's chairman. And then at 10.20 on the 11th of the 10th, Elon Musk has replied, this is incorrect, and no. nothing else. And in true Elon fashion, has not revealed anything else. Oh, why would you? 
Well, exactly. He, he is an international man of mystery. Um, and look, look, if you are a CEO and you are looking for, for you know, a, a new position, um, maybe Tesla. Yeah. Um, could be, you know, could be, could be big. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know whether I'd want to be handling that ball of fire, but yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a bit of a worry, isn't it? Mm. Uh, it's, look, it's funny. Elon's other enterprises like SpaceX uh, and the Boring Company, by all, all you know, all accounts, are going extremely well. Mm-hmm. It's just this the, the car component of his of his empire. Um, James is you know uh, doesn't see it the same way that I do. I'm quite an optimist. I think Elon will get there. I think he's going through a journey of self-discovery and he will drag us kicking and screaming into the future, regardless of me loving hot rods and petrol burning. Well, um, to his credit, he's already dragged us a fair way there. Yeah, so yeah he yeah. has really helped with the full electric car. Yep. And talking of dragging, we've got the Bloomberg tracker uh, oh. for the Model 3. Production oh. is sitting at, now last week it was 4,181. Which Ooh. was all right. Which is all yeah. right. Now the target was 6,000, right? 6,000 a week. It's gone up. It's oh. now 4,224. Wow. wow. Which is... That's Which is something. That's not too bad. Well, it's better uh-huh. than going down like it was for a while there. Yeah. It almost like got to what? Just 3,000 or yeah. something? Yeah, just, un- just three, I think, yeah. at some <laughs> one point. They had, but Elon set up the wedding marquee, which is this big tent, which is outside the Gigafactory, yeah. right, I think. Um, and they're, they're producing them in this tent as well, all around the clock. Oh, Elon's right. there. Everyone's there. He's got Michelle Grimes out. Um, <laughs> Putting together Model 3s. Anyone could do it, apparently. Just... How, how many of these cars are going to come out with uh, different coloured door panels? Yeah. Well, that's it. well they already have. Well, We've already yeah. seen one with one brown one and one but, white one or something yeah. like that. But Probably more on the way. I'm still Maybe. holding out. I still reckon we'll get there. Look, and with that, we have reached the finish line. Thank you, Mitch. Oh, no worries, mate. And thank you very much, M4. Thank you. And to our producer, Marsden. We get there every week, but the fact is that while we can't explain things to him, we can't understand them for him either. <laughs> and thank you for listening as well. Now, James has left us with a little joke too. Uh, now, it's like James finishes with a joke each week, and, and it's quite funny. And it goes a little bit like this. A bloke is driving along with a trailer full of monkeys. They're all in the back, going, doing what monkeys do. They're all over the, over the place. And, uh, I hope place- they won't throw him poo. No, they weren't. Well, they were. They were monkeys. Yeah. And drive past the policeman and he, pull, and he takes off after them. And he goes, woo, and pulls over. He walks up to the driver and goes, mate, what are you doing? Well, have you got all these monkeys in a trailer? And the guy behind the wheel is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, you can't do that. You can't, you can't be driving around with a whole lot of monkeys in your trailer. And the guy goes, yeah. And he goes, and the policeman says, take them to the zoo straight away. Take them, get them to the zoo. And the guy goes, righto, thank you, officer. And he drives off. And the next day, in the very same spot, the guy drives past with a trailer full of monkeys again. And this time, they're all wearing sunglasses. Cop jumps on his bike again, because motorcycle cop, takes off after them. Boo! Walks up to the driver again, same bloke. He's got sunglasses on as well. And says, what's... I thought I told you to take them to the zoo. And the driver turns to the motorcycle cop and goes, Yeah, I did. The cheeky things want to go to the beach today. Oh. <laughs> that is it. 
All right, thank you very much wow. for listening. Please give us your thoughts on anything we've discussed today. Search for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram and use the hashtag CG Podcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Tune in next week. Oh, <laughs>